1: Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch, my name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Barty. hello Barty. Hello Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who is simply not prepared to draw any conclusions this early in the season, Nathan A. Clark, hello Nathan.
2: Do not refer to me under any circumstances.
1: <laughs> uh, on Patreon this week, Nathan, um, what's your next planned video? Uh, I've sort
2: of got another two or three half up in the air, ready for things to see <laughs> what happens next in the market over the, yeah. next, the last few days. I started on a thing last week, and it just sort of it, it, it fell through. Looking at our recent games, I sort of I lost I lost the message, you know, I lost the clarity. So I've got a bunch of half done video that's not going anywhere. So it depends who we sign is the short answer. I think so. We obviously we signed SAR, but I think I'm gonna wait until like middle of next season because yeah. it'll be a long. Time Time before we we actually see him um but like here and now he's 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 exceptional he's he's a really he's he's a wonder kid you know he's he's uh he's well he's only just not a child and he's brilliant for a very very bad team <laughs> and um these are the kind of deals that we should be doing every year basically um but one for the future really exciting um he okay he um is a fantastic ball winner Um, He is a fantastic ball carrier, so slightly less in terms of like out-and-out 1v1 dribbles and more just sort of slaloming through where the spaces are and being able to take that touch into the space in the first place. Um, And his sort of short and medium passing game on... uh, They're kind of hard to... um, all of his passing is kinda of hard to assess because again he's playing for quite a bad team, but his, his short and medium passing are, are definitely nothing to write home about as they are. But he has a tendency to absolutely leather the hell out of the ball, and that appears both in terms of like big diagonal switches, balls in behind, but also shots. Um he has like a real ping to him. The ball just like rockets off like he like there isn't that much backlift. in in the shot or the pass that he's taking and the ball will just rocket away from him Uh, he can really generate some ping, some power and and hit in the middle of the ball or whatever it is Um, but I think more in depth uh, later on with him and then maybe we're going to (laughs) sign some other player There's, there's a handful up there so I think it will probably be whoever we sign and I, I'm sort of hovering <laughs> waiting for that.
1: Nice, I mean you've certainly whet the appetite for Saar. that's uh, that sounds pretty exciting and yeah I completely agree that's the kind of signing we should be making all the time, at least one a year like just identify good talent and snap them up before others do because others will. Um, It's funny you mentioned diagonals because I made a comment on my last podcast about like who's going to play the diagonals now, we've got no one who can play diagonals and then 20 seconds into the Passus game Romero picks out this incredible long pass mm. and then at the weekend against Watford Davinson Sanchez who I don't think I've ever seen play a diagonal pass has pinged two beautiful balls out wide and I was like okay that's that's Nuno having an effect that's the Nuno yeah. diagonal
3: Dave Dave can pass you know when we um when we lost to Man United in the semi-final I think it was I think it was Dave that set um or Ericsson free down the right-hand side so he does he does occasionally pull a it does occasionally do a dire and pull a long pass out of somewhere he yeah. was hitting
2: them in preseason. He was he was mm. chipping them in behind in preseason. It's um, you know, it, it, <laughs> every professional footballer has the capacity to hit yes. most yes. passes. You know, it's just a yeah. matter of of providing the circumstances and getting the practice that is related to what the actual team are trying to do and all that kind mm. of stuff. Um so yeah, it's not it's not totally shocking that a player who like struggles maybe under pressure is actually mm-hmm. capable of, of raking up some some longer parties. It they're still not like they're still the the centre backs that are operating with, they're still not like not like the ideal, you know, playmaking centre backs for, for the way that we want to play long from deeper areas, but Um, They're all capable, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, Watford, 1-0. That's three 1-0s, 35 to go. Uh, I mean, all the questions we've had in relation to this match are kind of based around the theme. So Neil Meppham says, what is the difference between the 21-22 team set up and Jose's team? And Keith Weichel says, is the start to this season as statistically unsustainable as last year? Is there anything to differentiate it apart from slightly different personnel and a new coach? I still see his bypassing midfield and not able to break a press or creatively unlock a deep line defence when we actually do have the ball. So I definitely want to um, take some time to sort of look at those questions. Um, What I would say is mega caveat still that this is, you know, three games, three league games of the season. Uh, We don't have all of our players back yet. We don't have all of our players fit yet. Um, There are many, many, many caveats at this point. So it would be completely reasonable for Nuno to be focusing on fixing our defence before working out how he's going to attack effectively. That said, (laughs) it was not the most thrilling performance in the world. And I would say, um, given that we were ahead and looking pretty comfortable, I felt like we could turn the screw. I felt like the second half, we could really turn the screw, scored a couple against one of the weakest teams of the league. And gone up a gear it didn't feel to me as though we went up a gear we carried on at the same sort of tempo and although um the, the the performance got better i would say in the second half uh that was more i felt due to watford's drop-off um rather than us actually doing anything different um nathan
3: is it too different from jose's tottenham
2: come on, buddy you want to jump well,
3: I, No, i i just think before before we get into this and, and break this down and and look at what what this means and what it means going forward I think we need to take a moment to just admire the job that Nuno has done I think I think we're right to question him and that, that's our that's our role as, as a po- football a top football podcast that likes to look in a bit more detail I think we need to take a moment to look at what Nuno's managed to achieve so far no one else has, has pulled out nine points no one else has had to kind of deal with the the fallout and the, the pressure that he's had with Harry Kane and everything else so I, I I think I think I'm gonna let I'm gonna let him off, even though he's pursuing my ultimate dream of 38 one nils, and and I love him for that because that, that's <laughs> for me. I I will stop watching football if we pull this off, because we don't actually need 38. I reckon we're 27 and a couple of draws. Uh, a couple of nil-nil draws, and that would get us. That would get us the title. So I think let's just give Nuno credit for what he's managed to achieve, and and the fact that we're top of the league, and a more established manager who's had more money to spend and more time with his squad is bottom of the league. I think, I think <laughs> that's a good place to start before we before you break down this um, whether or not we can keep repeating this trick. I mean, I think that goes without saying. I think. Um... But I think we do need to say it because otherwise we will get accused of <laughs> true, not true, saying. True, yeah. true, yeah. I mean, you know, like, I like, I've been. Uh, I've been
1: gushing with praise for how he's dealt with the Kane and the Ndombélé situation so far. I think he's he's handled them really, really well. Um, I think the system that he's got us using already makes Dyer and Sanchez look a lot better because they're a lot less exposed, and it just suits their skill sets much more than than mm-hmm. the, the system we used last season. Um, I, I think the midfield's fine; like it's it's a functional midfield. It's not it's not exciting, and a lot, the caveats are are all there for me in terms of it's so early it's so early and he doesn't have Ndombele at his disposal and Lo Celso's half fit and you know judging by Saturday against Watford Kane's half fit I mean it's, it's very early for Kane to be playing two matches in a week and that really showed I thought with his performance he was pretty unimpressive and, and heavy leg um, so I, I think Nuno can put together a, an attacking plan and get us playing some better football um, but I am interested in Nathan's thoughts on what the key differences are I mean obviously the the main one is that i Defenses 10 yards higher up the pitch, but yeah, what else have you spotted, Nathan?
2: That's the short answer is the difference between like a medium block and a low block. Um, the truth is that Mourinho would set up predominantly with a medium block, but then it was <clears throat> quite easy to force that medium block deeper and then hard for well, huh. In the first half of the season, it was relatively easy for Spurs to get out of the low-block and counter into a large amount of space. And in the second half of the season, it's much harder. My feeling at the time, and I still feel now today, is that the difference was the fitness of the other clubs that we were playing. And as everyone else was struggling through the pandemic and the total non-existence of pre-season and everything else, um it was sort of a level playing field with regards to that. And then... And then as teams got fitter around the sort of turn of the year, um, their ability to counter-press Tottenham, who were one of the less fit sides but more fresh sides um turns tied and spurs couldn't get out from their own defensive third last season um so obviously there are some similarities between the two approaches especially when you look at 3-1 nils on the bounce but but getting getting dyer and davidson away from their own penalty box is significant <laughs> you know and it's not just that because it's also where we're winning the ball we're winning the ball a lot of the time in midfield areas um with players both behind the ball and ahead of the ball, and lateral to the ball, giving you options of where you want to go from that point. So we are getting our counters in um, a lot better, a lot more easily. Um, it's more sustainable. It's not completely sustainable that we're going to literally churn out a thirty-one or more one 0 wins, of course. Um, but there, there are then, then is when we can bring in the caveats and say, okay, well. In the near future, we'll probably bring one of Celso or Undomblay into one of the central midfield roles, and we have um, better ball playing centre backs to bring in if we want to do that, and etc. And new players and settling in and learning the system and realizing that Lucas isn't no longer available and um, everything else that, that you that that all the other caveats you want to bring in. But to an extent, this is the way that we're going to play. Um, the and and the limitations, the weaknesses of those are quite apparent. I think what has been missed are the strengths so far, and I think that we have demonstrated those strengths against very weak sides. Right, we've demonstrated those strengths in pre-season against League One and League Two sides. We demonstrated those those strengths against Passos, so that when we do dominate possession and we do have like Harry Kane up top, we we absolutely. Um, and I realise we're going to talk about this game more in a little bit, but we can absolutely sort of shell the ball at an opposition and, and just exhaust them with, with relentless attacking, direct attacking all the time. Um yeah, I th- I think that there are more tweaks that can be done to make our not necessarily the, the immediate counterattack itself, um uh, more a high rate of success, but like um supporting the counterattack so that we aren't immediately um yeah. Uh, we aren't immediately like surrendering the ball for a significant period of time after for the sure. fact, and I think that we will get uh, will get slightly higher up the pitch in terms of where we're, we're engaging and how early we're engaging and, and when the the period of time that we can press the opposition high because we did see some of that in preseason, uh we will see more of that again but to an extent this is uh this is what i said on the last episodes and i tweeted a thread about this as well this is kind of what you get with nuno and um the other significant difference of course is um, that players are happy that no one's getting blamed for things that, um, you know, Nuno didn't arrive at the training ground and uh, could tell Devinson Sanchez that he was that player that he deliberately made <laughs> to embarrass in a previous final and all of that kind of stuff makes a significant difference in the way you play in the, in the mentality around how you're playing and all that kind of stuff. Um no, we can't win the rest of the season 1-0 out. And of course, there are weaknesses to the way that we're playing, but there are strengths that I think will become clearer as we go on as well.
1: Yeah, I think you're right to point out the strengths, um, because there, there are many. I think there are many, and I think the strengths of the system um, go on to benefit some of our players who have suffered in previous systems, which is a nice turnaround. I mean, I, I do think um Dyer and Sanchez have done a really good job this year, but what I would say is that we haven't faced a good striker yet. Uh so so against against City they had Ferran Torres up front, against Wolves they had Raul Jimenez up front, who looks a fraction of the player he once was prior to injury. Sure. And Watford had Josh King up front. You know, they haven't been tested yet. So this, this is this is the okay. thing that slightly concerns me about them. But th- having said that, you can only play what you're up against. And they've both done a really solid job. All the things they've been doing have been good things, like not many mistakes. Dyer got caught dribbling out against Wolves. But aside from that, you know, a couple of weak passes aside, they've both handled most things well. Um, And I think Tanganga is doing a good job uh, um, right back so far as well i think that's i think that's fair to say and regalon on the other side personally i thought regalon was our best player against watford because i felt like he had the trickiest job i felt like con- controlling Saar, who's comfortably watford's best player uh, and also like backing up the attacks is a tricky role to have to play and regalon did that really well and given his huge drop off at the back end of last season that is really encouraging to me uh, so so far so good across the back line for me
2: as much as I think that the the main focus of, of where we can improve in our attacking game is within the central midfield options and playing only one of Skip and Heubierg and playing mm. uh, a more creative player is the more defensive or more more deeper number eight to sort of dictate play from there. I also think that our right-sided width was yes. a big issue against Watford. I think that yes. we asked Tanganga to be a more generic fullback and that doesn't suit him and that we shouldn't be looking to get that out of him. Um, he did do it. There was a nice bit where he sort of dug out a difficult cross yeah. from the byline, but like he's just not a dynamic attacker and I don't think he's going to develop that kind of his game and he doesn't have the the, the necessary... Uh, i mean he is fast but he doesn't have the like pace with the ball mm-hmm. to to i think offer a huge amount of threat down that side he couldn't link up with sun very well he played on the right side that game or at least the first half of that game i think that was to do with um bergvijn's defensive efforts for handling sar on the opposite flank rather than trying to use sun for width on the right but i'm not I'm not certain of that um but right side width is an issue for us at the moment and um and we've made some interesting squad decisions <laughs> with regards to that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Hill offers us, um, what maybe Bergwijn can offer us on that side. But yeah, uh, I, that's that. That's a thing.
1: You know, I, I completely agree. And I made the same point in our Discord this morning, actually, that I felt like, with absolutely no disrespect to Tanganga, he's been fantastic, uh, given that he's... Always been a centre back. This is something that often gets forget forgotten. I think people assume oh he must have played right back when he was in the academy. No, Sanganga has always been a centre back. The first time he played right back to my knowledge was on his debut. Um which is insane to me, but there we go. Uh, he's done really, really well. But it's an obvious, it's an obvious upgrade. If you get a, a, a right back who's as good as Regan on, this, on on the left, suddenly you've got a whole another string to your bow, and that adds a very valuable weapon. So the link with Emerson is um, is a, a fairly pleasing one from my perspective. Um, Bardi
3: how are you? How are you feeling about things so far? Um, as I kind of already said, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about them. Of course, there doesn't seem to be a system or style that I I like, and I I am concerned about this not being sustainable. But but for right now, in in the kind of mess that that it there is, when the transfer window is still open and and yeah, post I Euros, that. I hate it. Yeah, I'm 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 <laughs> okay with this. Uh, actually, no, I'm more than okay with this. With after three games, you are top of the league, maximum points. It's it's a very very good place to be, mm-hmm. and. Um, If anything, we're nine points above Arsenal, which means, you know, it's kind of, I'm not going to say the words, but that's a a big gap for them to overcome over the course of the season. So the worst case scenario that if the finishing above Arsenal is always nice and it seems possible that even after three games, it will happen again. Um, I want a little bit more from the team. I would like us to to punish somebody, kind of like how we punished Pacos midweek. But I guess that will come. I guess that will come as Kane gets up to fitness and then the team starts to gel and perhaps we see a little bit more balance in between the centre and mid. But I like what's happened to Delhi. I like the rejuvenation of Bergvine and um and Sun look looks focused and good. So there's so much to be positive about and I'm I'm not gonna get too down about um about the lack of possession play from Tottenham right now or the lack of possession play going forward. As long as we keep winning, I'm gonna be happy. I was happy under Mourinho just winning games and I'm even more Happy under Nuno to keep winning games.
1: Mm. And that, how do you think the uh, the rest of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium will feel if this sort of slightly stale possession game that we saw against Watford becomes a thing against the weaker sides? Do you think the the fans will have patience with that?
3: Well, I, I missed the game because I was I was at a surprise 40th birthday for Flav from the Fighting Cock, so gave up my ticket. Happy so, birthday, um, Flav! Happy birthday, Flav! Happy 40 birthday, Flav! Our dear friend. So um, I was I was out there, so I, I missed it. But um, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I, we watched it huddled around a mobile phone in a pub, proper um, streaming it illegal. So that's that's how that's how I took the game in. So I'm not sure. I'm Best place to talk tactically or about atmosphere because we couldn't hear anything. But um, I think if Tottenham keep winning then what does it matter let's just keep winning games and let's win the league like this I don't care just want to win the league windy before I die we're all like, getting to 40 now I don't know many, how many years i got left so I want to see Spurs win the league
2: getting I don't care how about Spurs yeah,
3: I always do <laughs> and, uh, I don't care now I don't care how we win the league just just win it
1: and I, I feel like we can get to fourth playing this way I do I mean I've said it from the start I think Spurs have got more than enough to finish fourth this year I think we've, we've got the best striker in the league and when you've got the best striker in the league you should be able to finish in the top four Uh, when you've got some fairly competent players around and we've got more than fairly competent players around and I guess the other thing is it looks like Ndombele (laughs) he might not want to stay but it looks like he might be staying and and we'll use him because you can't have a player like Ndombele in the squad and not use him especially when you've got Europa Conference League matches as well and that adds an enormous amount to our team. Just the inclusion of Ndombele in the same system will, will change the dynamic of how we play significantly. So uh, that helps a lot. The other thing I would say, Nathan, um, when when Mourinho was, was doing his thing early at the start of last season, successfully, I wish should say, he you know, had a really successful start at the uh, yes. beginning of last season. He had essentially nine men behind the ball and then he had Son making runs, Kane dropping deep. Uh, and we've got an extra player forward now. We've got three men forward at all times, pretty much. You know, we're not we're not tucking the wingers right back in um, like we did at times under Mourinho. You've got, like, genuinely three players left high up the pitch pretty much at all times uh, to counter-attack and to run with the ball and create things, and that's a that's difference.
2: Basically, yeah. Yeah, it's as simple as, as that, you know. Ten yards higher up the pitch, one extra dedicated attacker. Uh, in, you know, putting your tackles into... Um. Uh, uh. Now it sounds more complicated. it's An earlier phase of the opposition's possession. Yeah. But um. Yeah. You know. It, it's it's sort of not completely dissimilar ideas. Um. But maybe maybe slightly modernised, or maybe you would just say slightly more aggressive with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair. And what what the thing that's allowing that to happen, the extra body forward. Um. Is the incredible amount of work that Delhi and Huipeo are doing either side of skip. And although huy wasn't necessarily doing all the things I would want to see a player in his position doing, it's it would be completely remiss to ignore what he was doing, which was just tenacious running, um, really good control of the ball when he got it in tight spaces and using it sensibly and um, able to get us out of some holes, pressing, tackling... Blocking, intercepting, Deli on the other side, he's just been unbelievable with his work rate and his ability to get up and down the pitch, his commitment to defence, um, which has been really, really impressive. And he arrived in the box to have probably our best chance of the, the match to be honest. Um, real pity he didn't put that one away because it felt like it felt like an old-school deadly chance that he would bury he put it in the corner. Uh, but the fact that he was there was um, impressive and promising, I think, for the future. Really, really pleased with their performances once again. I think they, they both stuck to their tasks remarkably well. Um, anything else to say about Watford? Um... Set-piece FC. <laughs> Yeah, so the Passos game in midweek, I found really interesting and um, it gave me a lot of hope, actually. I I saw a different way of playing in that game. So to my eyes, this was a 4-1-4-1, a different formation to what we've seen so far, but, you know, only a slight tweak on a theme. The main difference was... Brian Hill and Giovanni Lo Celso were playing as the sort of Delhi and, and Huubierre roles and they were pushing right forward so they were, uh, when we had the ball aggressively pushing forward and then they would take turns in dropping deep to receive passes and then linking play um, I liked it, I liked it a lot, I think you can do that against a team like Passus who don't really have much intent to attack um, and actually Harry Winks did a really good job of backing up Nathan mentioned earlier, backing up the attacks um, and, and Winks did that I thought very well against, again, admittedly a pretty poor team uh but was a different way of playing and i liked it and it impressed me and the link play between brian and Cessignon showed some sort of fledgling understanding there and it made me think okay we have got a different way of playing in our locker should we need it against a team that wants to essentially defend for 90 minutes
2: i actually completely disagree and this is kind of the theme of the video that i was making um but I don't know if I will be able to like wrap up my points. Maybe this will help. But basically, like, um to my eyes, we have approached not quite approached because like obviously we we know that we have different expectations going into each game. But like it's the same kind of tactical ideas. It's it's the difference between um the wolves game and the Passos game is not like or is not very much a matter of like deciding to have the ball more, but just our ability to to make the fast attacks work for us, to be higher up the pitch when they happen because the opposition are engaging us um, a little a little later, uh, and to turn those into a series of, of linked attacks rather than doing the same approach in a different circumstances and then either having a fruitful counterattack that immediately leads to a goal or a good chance or immediately losing the ball and then being sort of pinned back into our, our mid block or even deeper than that sometimes kind of thing. This is, this is so, and like, again, describing it as a four one for one, like it's, it's the same, like our formation is a four, three, three defensively and a, four one five in attack and that is always going to be the same in, in in every game and so if you see more of our defensive shape you'll call it a four three three you see more of our attacking shape you'll call it a four one four one or whatever else um because this is this is the way that we play and and um we have like we have the defensive mode, <laughs> we have the attacking mode, and in games where we have more of the ball, we look more attacking. <laughs> in games where we have less of the ball, we look more defensive. But it's it's really less about us and more about the opposition. And um, what I think you're seeing there is less that we have another mode to play, but like what the idea is when we have the opportunity to uh, to attack in the way that we want to.
1: So I see the Watford game as a counterpoint to that because we had a lot of the ball against Watford and we didn't do what we did against Passus. We didn't have Huey Bear and Deli pushed high up. We had them quite cautious. Deli was often like essentially backing up play on the left sort of allowing Bergwein to do the work wide on the left with, with Reguilon and trying to make triangles but Deli was often the one that was sort of sitting in and backing up play rather than making the, the overlapping run forward And uh, whereas against Passus you saw lots of Brian Heel making darts in behind uh, and linking with Sessignon and I think when the difference to me was when we got the ball they almost every time just burst really far like in advance of, of Wink's didn't see Huey Huy- do that once. And of course, part of it is down to the fact that Huey is by nature a more defensive midfielder, so it doesn't come as naturally to him to burst forward. But I think if you were to look back at some of the times where we win the ball against Passus and the positioning of the Celso and heel, it's so different to how we had the same midfield shape against Watford. But, you know, it could be, like you say, simply that we uh, we had the ball more and we were against a weaker team that uh, will break forward, so there's less need to be cautious. Um, what was what else was interesting about that game was the switch to a 4-3-1 on 60 minutes, um, just to see the game out. They brought Hyoibier on, went to a, a very defined 4-3-1, which is something we've not seen from um, from Nuno Espirito Santo so far. I thought that was thought that was an interesting little tweak, and you know, absolutely got the job done. Brian was really impressive in this game. We've not seen a lot of him so far. Obviously, he's only played the. the the two Conference League matches, but in this home match, it looked like he was really enjoying himself out there. And my goodness, he reminded me of Luka Modric so much. Like, partly his running style, so, you know, whatever. But there's also... Wedgate. Floppy hair, yeah, it's the sort of, <laughs> the, of the youthful exuberance when he's running. It's, and it's the Modric when he first joined Spurs that he reminds me of when Modric is playing wide left. And the bit, the thing about it that reminds me of Modric the most, and this is a very sort of specific, weirdly specific point. But um, like when a player receives the ball and takes a touch, normally they take a touch close to their body, and that's. That's like the the technical thing to do to keep the ball tight to your body, but protect it from the opposition players. But heel and Modric at the time, uh, he likes to take a touch into space. So he'll he'll kind of and he'll have a look around him and appreciate there's a bit of space that he can he can lay the ball off into. He'll touch the ball first time into space and then reassess, turn and reassess his options. And there was something very Modric esque about that for me, and uh, I enjoyed watching him very much. Bardi, are you taken by Brian?
3: Yeah, I. I, I, I... Way he, moves. he has got kind of a little bit of poetry about him. Um, I, I think in the same way that when we lost the first game, it's dangerous to take too much from this, but I went in on La Celso after his poor performance in Portugal and he was much mm, better. I think I think yeah he deserves a little bit of praise there. Brian was good. I I absolutely love Romero. I think there's there's something wonderful in this man. Just his his tenacity to go after a ball is is brilliant. I thought he was really really hard done by that yellow card, because he was through on goal at the halfway line. He was going to run the whole length of the pitch, and I was quite curious to see how he would have finished it. Um, I re- I really like him, and yeah, it's nice to win a game, and it's nice to to play mm-hmm. nicely and and see some good goals and. Um, if only Gil had scored a couple more, it would have really it would have rounded off a, a great game. And but it's good. It was important for those players to get minutes. It was important for Kane to score a couple of goals and just put to bed because it, it was. We haven't spoken about Kane. Kane's announcement that he's staying. So. Yeah, it's nice for Kane to be back and we've got one of the best strikers in the world committed to us for, for another season, which is which is really good news.
1: Yeah, and um it was kind of important that he scored those goals as early as possible, I think. Uh mm. especially as Kane has a reputation for not scoring early season, so it's kinda of nice for that to happen. And with limited fanfare I guess, because it's it's a team that we've expected to, to absolutely obliterate. Um so yeah, European Conference League here we come. Um, next week is going to be a bit of a transfer podcast, I suspect, because it'll be the first podcast after the the window closes closes, and also it's international break, so we can do a bit of a kind of analysis, a mop up of the transfer window, and talk about how it's gone in various ways. But let's let's touch upon some of the um, the links as of now. So it's a couple of Barcelona players: Emerson, Real, the the right back. Who I know very little about, to be honest. But I've just seen some of the data, and it looks fine to more than fine to good, maybe. And um, Iliyash Mariba, who is, you know, I again, I haven't watched him, have studied him, <laughs> but I know that he is a from YouTube highlights like videos. He's a classy player. So right, Emerson, um,
2: a generally very good uh, all-round right back, like smart defensively, um, good passing plays, um, tall tall for a fullback weakness is in sort of uh, athleticism and that shows up in his 1v1 attacking and his 1v1 defending so he can get skinned Occasionally if he's sort of out stuck out wide on his without you know, there's if there's if there's lots of space for him to cover, more of a problem mm. if he's sort of closer tucked to his to his centre back, so you're gonna have a much harder time. Okay. Um, worry with that is like if you look at how he defended against City and the role that Tanganga played in like one v oneing winning Sterling all game, like that wouldn't be ideal for Emerson. Um and then like in terms of like what we want that Tanganga can't offer is like the the right size of width and the attacking and the the dynamism there. I I I would like Emerson. I think Emerson's a good fullback. I'm not sure he's like <laughs> right for our needs, but he's he's good. So it's kind of it's a complicated one. I did put him on my my initial transfer list of like here are some good right backs, and he is. I'm just like I don't know. I I think that I personally have like a um a particular over focus on on one v one ability and athleticism from fullbacks, and and perhaps that's. That's me being too putting too much weight into that. But he's good. Uh Mariba um is yeah, is a kind of a sour one in terms of like an outstanding um young talent. Um I think he might have just signed for Leipzig as we're recording, by the way.
3: Right. Um Tapid Merchant. The Tapid merchant just said he's gone to Leipzig. Okay.
2: Well, if if he's wrong, <laughs> and he does come to it. He's
3: never wrong. He just copy pastes somebody <laughs> else. He's, he's never wrong. Yeah.
2: Uh well, he would have been really good. He's he's incredible. He um he's very sort of Iniesta like with sort of more shots on top. Um, the thing with like Sarah and Mariba is like they would make a terrible midfield pair because neither of them are passing the ball any distance at all. <laughs> um, but like Maribor is a, a, an exceptional ball carrier, really smart off the ball movement. Um, I don't know. I guess like a slightly more varied kind of Deli, I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm. in terms of his, of his his dribbling ability. Um, but anyway, he he he's a Leipzig player now. And then the final player you got here is McKenney who is um uh, very American. He's he's a, he's an athletic freak. He uh I mean I don't know why Juventus are trying to drop him. He he he's like he's kind of raw, uh, and you have to like you have, you have to work with him. But Juventus just need to be more patient with him. He he's exceptional. Um I don't know. He's like um. So he's like a really good ball winner, um, but he's also like uh, an aerial threat. So like, okay, right. You know how Fellaini started his career as like a defensive midfielder and then mm-hmm. shifted to becoming like an attacking ball winning number 10? McKenny is, is both Fellainis at once.
1: Okay. it sounds like Suchek.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can. I can get a suit check kind of vibe. Sure,
1: but we'd take a suit check, wouldn't we? It, I mean, the, the thing is, if um, Ilyash goes to to RB, fine. Like you, you don't get all the players you target, but it's an encouraging type of player to be targeting, and that's the thing that um that I'm really pleased with. I, I'm pleased that we've yeah. got the the profile of player we've been going after has been good, and it's it's it seemed to me as though we wanted to get him or McKenney um for an extra body in midfield. Field, having sold Sissoko not that they're similar yeah. players just that it's another midfield player right yeah
2: and that I mean for me the thing is it's like we don't need what well, we don't need Saar because we have two number sixes where we didn't before we don't need Mariba because <clears throat> we have Delhi and Celso, And um, Ndombele. and and uh, uh maybe there's an argument that we just need midfield bodies and, uh, and I, I accept that one we want like options we want coverage we want to have we want to like if something if like Ndombele doesn't work out at all we don't get an Ndombele replacement then there's like another like yeah. pair of legs But generally, like these aren't players that we need in the squads. These are just good players who we maybe have the opportunity to buy, and then they will make themselves worthwhile through their pure quality within the next. I think Mariba is more more of a like here and now player, whereas Sars maybe a next year kind of player. Obviously, with the loan deal, that's how it works anyway. But like, um, I I. I am very happy with the strategy of buy good young players who are good young players regardless of whether you need their yeah. their profile right now. Yeah. Um we still have like we still need to like solve right back. We probably still need a backup strike of Harry Kane for the like whatever seasons in a row that we're saying this. Um we still need to like work out whether we're gonna keep and Dombalay or replace him. But just because we haven't solved the squads doesn't necessarily mean we can't do the yeah, yeah. buying good young players when the opportunity arises to buy a good young player. So I'm I'm very happy that we're looking at that. And maybe um, the Mariba deal has fallen through and that's a shame, but um, I'm really happy with the Saar one. And
1: mm, mm. um, one other thing there uh, in terms of the the types of players we've been going after and uh, or not. Um, and the the this is the only disappointment for me, and we'll talk about it a lot more in next week's podcast, I'm sure, because we'll know what the squad looks like. It's the centre back. I, I I did want another centre back to um, partner Romero, and I understand that that Sanchez and Diarra have both had really good starts to the season, and Sanchez seems to have um, convinced Nuno that he's worth perhaps one more go. Possibly that's maybe why we've decided against signing another centre-back but I would like to to make us like a really competitive club really competitive team I would like one more quality centre-back I do think Dyer and Sanchez are both quite easy to upgrade on Um, and we've not seen Roden yet I mean Roden rodin's been injured so we don't know we don't know what nuno thinks of him at all yet he's just not even had a proper chance to to look at him um so we'll see because it might be that rodin comes through and becomes that partner for romero but uh that's the one area where i'll I'll have a a hint of regret particularly (laughs) having been linked with kunde for so so long in the Mm. in the window it feels like ah okay where was the backup there who was the who was the if we don't get kunde we go for x option
3: I mean, sometimes, sometimes this happens. You you don't get you don't go for target A. Um they wants to go to Chelsea or wants to play Champions League. Then sometimes you your your coach should coach his players a bit better, and maybe that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing Sanchez and Di performing better because the manager's doing a good job. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with us not signing a a centre back. I would like us to sign another midfielder. If it's McKennie, it's McKennie. He's He's a definite improvement on Winks and a massive improvement on Sissoko, and he will improve our midfield trio. So that 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 works out nicely. Emerson, I'm not too sure, but I'm not I'm not sold on that. But um, if he's better than Orie and better than Doherty, then he improves the squad, and that's always a good thing.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels like Orie will go uh, before the deadline is up. There's even some speculation about Doughty going. I mean, it can't feel great for Doughty. He's reunited with a manager who got a lot out of him and is not playing because the guy that is playing is a converted centre-back who's doing well at right-back. That's that's not going to be great for his um, sense of self, I wouldn't think. But um, yeah, we'll see whether he stays or goes as well. Uh, let's do a couple more questions before we finish up. So what have we got here? Uh, Crouch says... Hi, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> same players, same formation, similar approach Not exactly expansive or free-flowing Yet it does feel different, better organised Doesn't feel like we're about to concede at any moment What is different other than It feels better because Nuno isn't a bellend
2: I, it's it's a lot of it, I think, is it feels better because Neo isn't balance. Yeah. I think it's better because we're winning at the moment. And maybe if we weren't, we would be like, oh, my God, it's just like Mourinho. <laughs> um, I think 100%. that it feels better because it's slightly higher up the pitch and you're seeing less of your own penalty yeah. box. Um, I mean, It's it's, kind of, it's what we talked about bef- before. Um, all those things add up to just have a different feel. It's also better, I think, because they... With Mourinho, it was again, we're going to make the same point again. It's like um, the the na- narrative that it's like we're this brilliant squad who are right on the, the cusp and we just need like a proven winner to come in and win. And so the expectation was higher with Mourinho and the quality was lower, right? And we brought a bunch of like older experienced players to like get the wins over the line. Uh, whereas with Nuno, it's like, okay. We're recovering from that, we're building towards the future, we're buying younger players. Um, there's like a promise of where we could be going from here, rather than like, Are we gonna win the league now? Are we gonna win the league now? Are we gonna win the league now? Oh, are we gonna get relegated now? Are we gonna be okay? Will will it ever feel good to enjoy football again? <laughs> um so so it's it's different for all those reasons and more.
1: Uh, we did have a question from Chayam the Great uh, who asked about the past match smash and I kind of feel like we've already covered that one but I just wanted to give him a shout out, particularly mm-hmm. as he gave me a, a training session on how to pronounce his name as well. Um, hey guys, where's my dad? Says, with a new manager usually comes a change in system or philosophy for the first team. Does that system and philosophy also trickle down to the under-23s under-21s, under-18s, etc.? And I thought that was quite an interesting question. Um uh, under Mourinho not really. It's not like we had our under twenty three team set up to to do low block encounter, that was definitely not the case. Oh. Pochettino a little bit. I love it. Never ne- ne-
3: ne- never never miss an opportunity, Wendy. Never miss an opportunity to stick the stick the life in and join them. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, he did it to Deli, I'm going to do it to him. Um,
3: <laughs> uh, but Roma scored a lovely one-touch goal in the did. weekend. Did you Tammy Abraham yeah. playing some lovely on one-touch fire. football
1: because of Pils, yep. he's a brilliant I mean, player yeah. that, that Chelsea have done another Lukaku situation with. Absolutely ridiculous, but there we go.
2: This has been a very Mourinho-heavy episode. I do think that we have to, like, clarify. Mm. It's not going to be like this every, every <laughs> yeah. week, is is the questions, honestly. The I'd question be happy, happy to yeah. never speak yeah. of him
3: again, frankly. <laughs> um... Well, it's this the parallels between the yeah, one nils yeah, and what I said back then—the thirty, the third the 28 one nils that we need yeah left. yeah yeah absolutely.
1: Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, under Pochettino, perhaps a little bit, but then that was kind of like the on-vogue style of, of football anyway at the time. So I'm not sure, essentially, that Spurs do have a philosophy running through their youth teams. We we always want to play out from the back from from youth teams, and so like, if we were a Burnley type team, <laughs> perhaps we wouldn't do that. But we're not. We're we're going to be a team that tries generally to play out from the back to some degree and so that absolutely follows suit at youth level um, t- Talking of, of youth football I caught the um, under-23 match against Arsenal which all went horribly wrong because we had a sending off Yeah, it didn't go so well But um,
3: how? What do you mean by so well? We, was, we, lost, was, to Arsenal. Cool? we lost to Arsenal 2-1 cool? What was it? Oh, okay. I thought we got
1: beat 5-0. No. I must have been thinking of another. No, we lost, we lost 2-1 to Arsenal, which was um, a, a pity Lavinia got sent off. Um, but in the first half, I thought Jack Clark was really good and it was kind of a bit of a reminder to me of, of why I liked Jack Clark as a footballer. And Clark gets so much criticism on um Twitter and Reddit and wherever even Discord uh, people don't like him and i think if you'd only watch jack clark play for spurs and that is a completely reasonable take to have because he's not been very good when he's played for spurs um but there's a lot more to clark to come i think in the future whether it's at spurs or not i definitely think there's something there to work with so he was um essentially beating players for fun against Arsenal in that under-23 match. And their defence included Gabriel, so it wasn't like a completely awful defence. He looked really, really impressive, but easily the best player on the pitch in the first half. And Harvey White not far behind, actually. He was he was excellent too. Uh, but I was it, it kind of gave me a little bit of a reminder of um, Clark of Old, someone who's very direct, wants to take players on, get to the byline, get shots at goal, very productive. And it kind of made me reflect on this pretty rough time he's had where he joined Spurs soon after recovering from a mystery illness which caused him to faint on the mm. bench and then he got this loans back to Leeds where he then didn't get played having played quite a bit previously and that didn't really do much good for him and then he got another couple of loans one to QPR where he barely played one to Stoke where he had some promising times but they weren't a very good team frankly Um, and in that time he'd seen players leapfrog him um, at Spurs and and that must have been quite sort of difficult to deal with I suppose you know you've signed for a big club for a, a large fee £10 million or whatever it might not be all up front but that's the that's the headline. Uh, you kind of expect the next step just to follow, don't you? And it didn't really with Clark. So, yeah, I was kind of putting myself in his headspace and thinking, God, yeah, he's he's not had an easy couple of years. Um, and he, he needs a bit of, he needs something to go right for him. But I was really impressed with him. And I, I hope to see a little bit more of him across the season. If he does get a loan, I hope it's after the Europa League, Europa Conference League matches, because I think he'd be an ideal player to give some minutes to in those. But, yeah, just a bit of Jack Clark love um last question before we wrap things up uh this is from legion one of our ex hubs who says how long does it take to plan and record each episode and i've realized it's something we've never spoken about before uh so bardi do you want to talk us through how we how we plan and record and put out these episodes these these podcasts
3: well we have we have like a kind of a a template how how granular do we do we, yeah, we have a template that we yeah, we have a we have a template which we which we keep adding questions to that we never have time to, to answer. That that is the, it's getting bigger and yeah. bigger. It just it keeps scrolling. Every now and then you look back and you realise that that player doesn't even play for <laughs> Tottenham anymore, so we have to remove it. So we have a running order which we work off, and um, and then I guess we. Windy does his bit. I say my stuff about passion, and Nathan says his things about tactics. And then uh, we record all our all our um, audio separately. And Nathan does his best to to get rid of all the erms and the gaps and windy fluffing his lines, <laughs> and try to make us sound like the professional football podcasters that we are.
1: That makes it sound like we're a heavily edited podcast. And I think Nathan does an amazing. It's, well, it's just you. Nathan... It's just you
3: saying. Let me take that. Let me do that again, please. <laughs>
1: Nathan um, makes it sound so much better than it would if we didn't have Nathan. I think that's fair to say. But we are—we generally um, record for an hour and put out an hour's worth of material. Nathan, is that fair to say?
2: Yeah. Uh, we record for. I, I normally take about I don't know five to ten percent off. I think we. I, I take out a lot of dead air and I'll take out a few errors and issues and I will obviously take out the um, the the customary uh, body rant about. Uh, no, I'm <laughs>
3: <laughs> but any kind of casual racism yeah, just like accidentally that. falls out of my mouth like this bit is going to be cut out <laughs>
1: yeah um so that's it really i mean it's it's in a sense now we're up and running and we know what we're doing it's a lot easier uh, and things just tend to flow we sort of have a i think having the running order has given us a bit of a, a format which we stick to and it works works quite well for us um we're all comfortable with it we know what's happening next it's, it's a lot easier than it used to be uh, and it just sort of falls into place. Editorialising it is just a case of, sort of thinking about to the last game, what happened, what were the key points, what do we want to touch on, mm. whilst also bearing in mind that there are many other Spurs podcasts out there and we don't want to just be all touching on the exact same thing. So it's trying to find things that were subtly interesting to us, to our podcast, to our analysis that, that might not be picked up in other podcasts as well. So so yeah, that's uh, that's the nature of the pod. Um, the other thing I wanted to say before we go is we had a lot of uh, love for uh Tim's song talks Tim Songs, I should say, that we ended the last two podcasts with. Um people were saying, who was that who was that band you put at the end of the podcast? So that was that was big bad, our friend Tim's band. Uh, and you can listen to their album on Letting Go on any streaming service. Essentially, but um, it's a it's a great piece of work. I'm really I think Tim's done such a good job getting that album out. It's uh, it's great stuff. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to know him more through his music. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that people enjoyed it.
2: Bigbadaz.bandcamp.com.
1: You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at DavyShambles Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.